you are at all aware of the first people to pioneer cannabis media, then you're probably familiar with today's guest. David Bienenstock is on this episode of The Chillinoy Podcast. If you're not on Patreon, then you're watching this episode of The Chillinoy Podcast at least two weeks late. We release new episodes of The Chillinoy Podcast every Sunday, exclusively on Patreon. For only $3 a month, you can get exclusive access to new episodes of The Chillinoy Podcast, backstage content, and more. Go to chillinoy.net slash Patreon for early access to new episodes of The Chillinoy Podcast and to help support The Chillinoy Podcast. Enjoy the episode. David, welcome to the Chillinois Podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, and it's a pleasure to be here. Sweet. Are you uh, you waking bacon this morning? Are you going to join me? I got my cereal bowl full of, uh, of greens. Uh, this looks like I already started, but this is actually uh, leftover from last night. Uh, Hell you yeah. know, if you judge me for that, you got the wrong person. <laughs> But I, I am down to uh, to get lit with you, so let's do that. Sweet, yeah, let's spark up, and then I'll have you uh, introduce yourself to my audience. So, cheers. Cheers. Uh, my name's David Bienenstock. I'm Bean on the podcast, which is great moments in weed history. We've been doing that show, Abdullah Saeed and I, for about four years. We met while working on the Vice show, Bong Appetit. Uh, which was, as you might imagine, about food and cannabis. He was the host and I was a producer, so setting up the episodes. Uh, and I've been, as a journalist, covering cannabis for, I, I, I am almost loath to say, about 20 years, uh, which in weed years feels like a long, long time uh, as a shorthand. Uh, you know, I started out getting in the trunks of people's cars to go see their grows so that I couldn't be compelled to testify against them. And uh, now I occasionally go to uh, business conferences full of uh, capitalistic D-bags. So uh, it's really been, uh, you know, quite a transitional period. And what you know what we do on great moments in weed history is really look at 10,000 years of cannabis human interaction um we try to focus uh, as the title strongly implies on great moments because we want people to celebrate this culture uh but sometimes of course those great moments are about overcoming adversity oppression racism all of these things that you know have been thrown at the cannabis community over the years and decades and really millennia what a transition i mean going from literally being forced into people's trunks but not uh, forced. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Consensual trunk entry. <laughs> uh, you know, but, you know, the deal was you can come and see our plants if, you know, you're willing to do this. So. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Cause that, did, <laughs> that did sound a lot darker than I meant to sound. <laughs> I mean, anytime you're riding in the trunk of a car, a thought does occur to you. Is this a good idea? Uh, but, uh, I'm sure. So, so far, I'm all good. I'm sure. Well, the, what I was going to say is the transition from hiding in people's trunks to openly talking about it on a podcast and posting about it. I mean, right out in the open, like you say, these business conferences that are advertised publicly and suits show up and what a transition. Yeah, I will leave your listeners to guess which one is more fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can I can guess. I've got a good guess on that. So. <laughs> 
Well, cool, cool. Yeah, I, I like I was saying before we hopped on air, I, I think that a lot of my guests will be aware of who you are uh, with your work uh, on Bong Appetit. And then you're also, uh, you were also working with High Times for a while, correct? Or do you still? Uh, back when they were cool, I, I don't fuck with them in their current iteration. So I guess to give you a shorthand, uh, my first... Uh, my first weed job was, uh, you know, buying an ounce and breaking it down into eighths like a lot of people. Uh, definitely a job. Uh, so I don't want to slice it completely off the resume. But my first on the books cannabis job was uh, writing and editing for High Times on staff going back to 2002 in New York City. At the time, High Times... Uh, was an independent publication. It still had strong links to the founder, who unfortunately uh, passed away in the 70s, but it was a direct line of a counterculture independent uh, publication. I would say, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to like plug, 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 but we have a two-part episode of Great Moments in Weed History about the founder of High Times, somebody I find incredibly inspirational and whose story uh, has has not really been been told much. He was a cannabis smuggler. He was a radical political activist. He obviously. Uh, founded High Times, but was also a big part of what was then known as the underground press movement. So um, one of my favorite episodes, somebody who unfortunately passed away before I started working at High Times by decades, I'm not that old, but, uh, you know, it was an honor and a real thrill and just such a unique opportunity to report on cannabis culture at a time when, you know, everybody who was doing that all worked at high times. You know, there were no other real, you know, I don't want to belittle other, a couple other publications, but it was a very, very small world. Um, and it, I was already fascinated by this plant. Uh, but when I took that job, I had seen one plant growing in my entire life. I grew up in New Jersey, you know, I had, I kind of suspected that all the strains were just made up, um, you know, and it was a tremendous education for me and not just in weed, but in everything that weed intersects with. So learning about uh, medicine and human biology through the medicinal properties of the plant, learning about the so-called criminal justice system um, by seeing how uh, oppressive and really uh, just full of shit it is, uh, the incredible inequalities, uh, learning about the media through the media's failures and willingness or you know unwillingness to push back against this propaganda on and on down the line so and and, and on the positive side you know how cannabis is a creative tool for so many artists comedians writers anybody in the creative arts not everybody in the creative arts but many many people so you know, 20 years later, what, what keeps it fascinating for me is, yeah, I love weed. I love to smoke weed. I love to get high. I'm interested in all the different strains, but 
the difference between somebody told me early on the difference between some and none is vastly different uh, vastly bigger than the difference between this and that so I, I I'm I'm really looking at this as a culture as a grassroots political movement um, and as a wedge into some of these other inequalities that society uh perpetuates and and you know i i think if we can look at the progress that's been made with cannabis and understand how that progress has been made then we have a chance to apply those same principles in other areas very well said very well said can i ask you and feel free if you need me to rephrase this question i'm having trouble wording it uh, so i'd be happy to rephrase it but when did uh when did you start to feel like this was a stable job because i mean i have to imagine that for a little while you couldn't make heads or tails of whether we were going to legalize or not i mean sure all of us advocates advocates have always felt that it was inevitable but i mean did you did you ever worry about the stability of like that job in and of itself uh i'll say this i i have you know mainly I've worked in media, you know, whether it was at high times, whether it was working with Vice uh, on Bon Appetit and as a columnist, uh, even, you know, I've never felt that I had job security in any sense. And I was always right. You know, uh, the media, you know, it's another topic for another time, but the state of journalism if you know a journalist in your life, you know, <laughs> send them some weed or, or take about, you know, it, it, yeah. it's it's been a very, very tough time. So I've never had any illusion. And, you know, what's interesting is going back that far, people would say to me, you know, I, I lived in New York City where High Times was located at the time. Um, and, and I had a lot of friends who just worked at other publications, you know. Um, and you'd hear a lot, oh man, why would you, like, oh, people you're smoking a joint with. Hey man, you know, working at high times, you know, you're really, uh, you know, you're going to have a hard time getting a job anywhere else. People aren't going to take you seriously. And this this was well-meaning advice from people who liked weed. Um, and my feeling was always, I can't really take a publication seriously if they haven't figured out that weed should be legal or if they want to discriminate against me for telling the truth. Um, so in that sense, uh, you know, there was a sense of painting myself into a corner a bit, uh, you know, but I, I never really wanted to participate in the corporate part of the media uh, where you can't tell the truth, uh, essentially. And, and, and I'm not a big, like, I believe my own set of conspiracies, uh, the ones that have evidence for them. I'm not, you know, I, I don't want people to misunderstand when I talk about the, the downsides and the failings of the corporate media to think I'm uh, aligning myself with people on the hard right or whatever. I, I'm just saying, you know, what you see in the New York Times and on CBS Evening News is reflective of a kind of reality, uh, but it is not the entirety of reality. And 
their reporting on weed and specifically on the war on drugs in general has just been a prism to understand the way that these systems are self-reinforcing you know i i you know on the chillinoise podcast i feel i don't have to go through point by point and debunk uh cannabis prohibition but all of those things are obviously true uh and, and what, what was interesting is you know I, I wrote about this in one of my books like as legalization really became the hot topic and the the poll numbers jumped and everybody was kind of jumping on the bandwagon there was a couple of articles that were written about high times and they were like uh after shitting on us and clowning on us for decades uh you know long predating my time there there were all these think pieces that are like what foresighted geniuses high times turned out to be and it's like no it was fucking obvious you were either lying or stupid or going along with what the power structure wanted in order to maintain access to power. You know, so we can't as much as I would like to think of my of my colleagues there uh, and myself as, you know, cracking the code uh, that a plant with no lethal uh, dose and incredible uh, medicinal properties uh, uh, that's far safer than alcohol, which I have nothing against, uh, should be legal and that we shouldn't put human beings uh, in cages over it. And that uh, if you look at the arrest rates and it's five to eight times uh, for people of color, that that's wrong you know, these are not the musings of a rare genius. These were obvious facts. And so that's really informed how I look at politics, how I look at the media, you know, certainly how I look at the government and the criminal justice system. Gotcha. Yeah, well, that is that is exactly what I was looking for in that question. And uh, it's interesting to look back because you explained it. I don't mean to make you feel old, but you've been working in cannabis <laughs> for almost the entirety of my lifespan. Like I was a baby when you started. I didn't have any concept. I didn't sell any weed to you when you were a baby. I don't want to. No, yeah. no, you didn't. I might have been did. breaking those ounces down, but uh, <laughs> I was selling them responsibly. Yeah. So so, I mean, um I bring that up because I, I wondered as an adult growing up in that time period, if it did feel inevitable and you just painted that picture, like you knew that this was inevitable. It was just a matter of time. And, and I always kind of wondered if like you and Abdullah and, and Rai, because I've had all, all three of you on here, like having watched Bong Appetit and having watched you guys pop up in the cannabis media landscape, I wondered if at that time, you guys were like, yeah, this is in the like, this is in the bag now. Like you, you finally felt stable or if you always felt it was an inevitable thing. So that's really cool to hear from your perspective. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I'd say by the time I started working in cannabis professionally, even then, I would never use the word inevitable. And I wouldn't say that the rights that we've won now uh, couldn't be taken away from us. And, and, you know, we can look at other things that are going on in this country right now and yes. understand that, um, you know, the law is what happens. It, it's, it's not 
justice. Right. The law is, you know, what happens in the world. And so, you know, not only is it not inevitable, it could be taken away. But I will say this. By the time I started working at High Times, uh, Prop 215 had been implemented for five or six years. But, uh, and here's another episode of Great Moments in Weed History, um, right after I took that job, the the federal government sent 30 armed DEA agents to raid a place called Wham, which was supplying free cannabis to uh, the terminally ill, a lot of people with HIV AIDS, but also people with cancer who could not afford it. So you had some dispensaries opened at the time. It was very expensive. Here's a group that's growing cannabis, bringing people in uh, to grow collectively, giving it away. And they're raided and held at gunpoint. These are people who have, uh, some of them have become, you know, among my closest friends because I eventually lived uh, in the same town with them and would volunteer at the garden. Uh, shout out to Mike and Valerie Corral and everybody at Wham. I would say if you want, um, maybe you know, certainly very personal episode to me, but I, I really think one of the most moving. Uh, episodes of Great Moments in Weed History is called Wham! Takes Down the DEA. Um, and you can see that even that late in the game, the, the entire state of California had voted uh, to protect exactly this. Um, and really the reason the DEA targeted Wham! is not because they thought they were doing something outside of state law, uh, but because they thought they were the best example of compassionate cannabis. So why do you send 30 armed uh, government jackbooted thugs up to a remote weed garden to put a gun to the back of the heads of literally one woman in, you know, in a wheelchair? Because you think they're the best example of it. And if you can intimidate them, well, then everyone else will understand, oh, okay. It's like pulling somebody over for doing 55.1 miles an hour and then holding a press conference. The, the message is supposed to be, it doesn't matter what you do. Um, and, and so that was a real turning point. Wham! fought back. They brought thousands of people out in the street. They gave away cannabis on the steps of City Hall in Santa Cruz, California, within weeks of that DEA raid, they sued the federal government and won an injunction. And that, in essence, stopped what was, at that time, a concerted plan by the uh, George W. Bush administration to, in essence, use federal enforcement to crush California's legal cannabis system. So. You know, and, and that was like, as I said, within my first few months of working at High Time. So, um, you know, one, one message from just an, an, an older an older dude hanging around is like, don't take anything for fucking granted and don't um, don't underestimate these people who are outwardly saying they want to create a fascist state in this country. Uh, that is what they want. And the drug war, the war on drugs, has been their pilot program for fascism. Kicking down people's doors in the middle of the night over a small amount of beneficial plant matter uh, 
Yeah. Sends a very specific message. The message is, fuck you, you have no rights, and armed agents of the state will do whatever the fuck they want on any pretext. Now, we may win, or we may be winning when it comes to the issue of weed, but the war on drugs continues largely unabated, and, you know, I I, I don't want to get too far off your topic, but that fascistic impulse that has underpinned this war on drugs uh they want to extend it to everything and everyone yeah yeah and to your point i think that's actually a good transition into one of the main things i wanted to speak to you about today which is i felt recently that there's been a resurgence in reefer madness and by that i mean well uh we'll we'll put a link to first of all everything you've discussed so far each weed episode uh great moments in weed history episode that you've referenced so for folks that are listening and want to check that out links will be in the podcast description we'll also have a link to your book um I wanted to talk about the recent resurgence in reefer madness because I actually saw you uh, in the past go on to Fox News and take Tucker Carlson on. I think it'd be interesting to talk about that specific interaction, but I think it's more prudent to talk about what we've seen recently come up, which is a lot of conversation about THC potency and um, whether or not we should limit THC potency and some have even gone so far as to say that THC potency is to blame for the recent spike in mass shootings and everything else. David, please, uh, what are your thoughts on on this particular topic? Absolutely. I do want to slide in. I, I, I feel like I, I, yeah, I got a little... You caught me in the coffee hour when I'm when I'm most worked up. Uh, so I just want to mention we also have really really just fun episodes. Uh, I'll just say our like our first episode of Great Moments in Weed History was Willie Nelson smoked a joint on the roof of the White House, and our most recent one is about the glass blower Bob Snodgrass who kind of created the uh, heady glass movement that led to all the fancy dab rigs and everything like that. So it's a fun show. Uh, we're, we're fun, lighthearted people just enraged about the drug war. Yes. Okay. As far as this goes, you know, this is what I say when I say, like, you know, don't take these rights for granted. You're seeing uh, across the, the right this effort to link cannabis and, in particular, these violent, uh, you know, mass shootings, but, but violence in general. You know, there's a few reasons for that. One, I think, is they don't want to address meaningfully the underlying causes of why these mass shootings happen in the United States and largely don't happen other places where access to guns is reasonably restricted. So they need a scapegoat. So much of the war on drugs is about okay, well, we want to fuck with people of color, but that's not technically legal. So how do we create a proxy? Um, This is a little bit of that. But also, you know, as more and more authoritarian people seek and gain power, we really have to look at something in the plant that is inherently anti-authoritarian um it, 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 not for everybody 
there are some real fucking asshole people who smoke tons and tons of weed. Uh, I like to say, uh, smoking weed is not the cure for being an asshole. It's just a good place to start. It might work. Um, And on a more serious note, 100% for people who have uh, underlying mental health challenges, uh, people, cannabis can be a triggering incident. Um, I have seen that. Uh, I, I, I think we do a huge disservice when we deny that because it is true and because it can be off uh, important information for somebody to understand. Like cannabis can treat a lot of mental health conditions, uh, anxiety, stress among them, uh, insomnia, uh, PTSD as a big one. You know, the, the the science showing that cannabis is an effective treatment for PTSD is there. And the anecdotal evidence of that uh, in terms of large numbers of veterans, you know, I, I one of the great honors I've had in, in doing this work as a reporter is getting to sit and talk at some length with so many different kinds of people who have come to this plant for so many different reasons. Um, and so I've, I've, I've met that, you know, this isn't to say that this is FDA level evidence, but I've talked with dozens and dozens and dozens of, of veterans with PTSD about how this plant helps them. But it could also be the triggering incident for somebody. But that doesn't mean that it is the cause of schizophrenia as an example for one example you know in my interview with uh uh tucker carlson he's saying cannabis cause is causing this huge uh cannabis is causing people to become schizophrenic uh there's many reasons that that's not true but one of them we could just look at like if you go back to the 40s just as an example, like jazz musicians are smoking a lot of weed. Uh, you know, people who work on the docks in port cities, you know, but the mass population of people are not smoking weed. And uh, the schizophrenia level is, you know, whatever percentage of the population. Then by the 70s, you have lots and lots and lots of people smoking weed schizophrenia the same now the cannabis is much more high potency uh and still uh you know this <laughs> the, the the rates of schizophrenia are the same so it's just impossible on the face of it you know these are not serious people these are not people interested in helping anyone and they're not interested in understanding the truth. They're working backwards. They've come up with the idea that this is a winning argument for them on narrow grounds. All of their other arguments about cannabis have been, you know, the, the other thing is pre-legalization and pre-widespread legalization, um, they could say, oh, if you legalize it, then this is going to happen and that's going to happen and all these terrible things are going to happen. 
but now, you know, as one example, we look at states that have legalized and the youth uh, underage use generally tends to go down. Um, so they've got to come up with something else. I'm sorry. I got to grab my. Uh... Oh, I just got to plug this in. It's right here. Sorry. No problem at all. No problem at all. I mean, OK. Yeah, I think I gave you a, a clean, clean cut there. Oh, uh, it's it's no worries. Uh, anyways, like, you know, what people uh, what I think to your point, if potency is their concern, wouldn't you then want it to be regulated so that you could keep track of potency? Yeah, I mean, you can't give them <laughs> any. That's 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 the thing. It, 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 it It's not an exchange of ideas. It's not a debate mm. on the merits. Um, so, you know, and, and it's like, okay, well, you had almost 100 years to stop us from growing and distributing cannabis through tens, hundreds of millions of arrests uh, by creating this fucking police state you know, you certainly gave it a good try. So let's accept that people are going to grow, buy and sell cannabis. Can you honestly tell me that a completely unregulated system? Now, I might like it, uh, <laughs> but why would you? You know, they're, they're not good faith arguments. Uh, and so that can get really frustrating. But But this is the other thing I could say from some experience. And when I say... Like, how have we been so successful in this movement in terms of concrete change and other things look so bad? Consistency. Um, when 16, you know, in, in the 1970s, uh, when I was born, not when I was working at High Times, everyone, uh, less than 20% of people were in in favor of legalization Gallup poll but there was normal there was you know a whole group of people along came Jack Herrer along came th that guy that you might have met down at the arcade who gave you a flyer you know what I mean like we were there as a movement pushing this issue even when it was extremely unpopular two weed is fucking amazing it can stop your aunt from puking her guts out uh, while going through chemotherapy. It can stop your son or daughter from having severe seizures hundreds of times a month. So, you know, we got to give it up to weed a little bit. Uh, but the other thing is like not um, allowing the debate to be defined by people who are full of shit. And, you know, when we get into things in the two-party system, it often becomes, well, there's two sides. Well, there's two sides. There's not two sides of weed legalization as an issue. There's a reasonable science-based uh, examination of the issue. And then there's nonsense, like you'll hear Tucker Carlson spewing in your ear when you're sitting there trying to speak to people so in some sense you have to speak past them you know when i sat down for that interview uh 
I didn't. I, I don't have any illusions that I'm going to present some facts, and Tucker Carlson is going to go, "Oh, whoa, holy shit! Didn't realize that." Uh, I guess you're right, or I guess I need to learn more. That you know, that's not within the realm of possibility. But to the unfortunately millions and millions of people who listen to that guy every night, that's that's who you have to speak to. And what's interesting about weed is it some of the most, you know, conservative, to use a nice word, people, they know, they smoke weed, they like it, it's helped their aunt through chemo, you know, so I got tons of emails and messages and, and, the, and, the, uh, and the YouTube comments, which I'm a don't read the comment guy in general, so many of them were, ah, I love you, Tucker, but, you know, you, you don't know what you're talking about about this. And, and, and my only, you know, note back is like, thanks. And this ain't the only thing he don't know shit about. Um, and so, you know, that's a real opportunity, an opportunity to use cannabis as a prism for people who, you know, uh, you know, I grew up middle class, uh, white dude, and you know what I mean? Like, I I could see the injustice in the world, but the first time the injustice of the world entered my personal life was through weed. And I was very young. You know what I mean? Like, and we need to even as it becomes legal and people thankfully of of your generation depending on where they live may grow up in that new paradigm just to sit and think for a minute you know we live in a world that has waged almost a hundred year war against a beneficial plant something's more deeply wrong you know what I mean? That's not the disease. That's a symptom. And so, um, you know, especially, what you know, to some extent, you know, our, our, our audience on Great Moments in Weed History, your audience, I would imagine, as I said, are people who don't need to be convinced that weed should be legal or that weed can be beneficial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So some of the responsibility is to and, and history is great for that. Um, history in general is a great way to understand um, our own times, the forces that we're up against, uh, and what has been successful in the past in in pushing back against some of this. I am so in, I'm so glad I invited you on because you, your perspective is just golden on this, man, and uh, it's really valuable for me. And I can only imagine that people that are listening right now that it's valuable to them because yeah that's just that's just super powerful and i i was going to ask you about your take on tucker carlson and i like on how you even approached that you know and i like what you said which is like you were talking through him you were using him and cannabis as a prism to open people's eyes and it kind of goes back to the thing you said at the very beginning of the podcast cannabis isn't a surefire way to make you a great person but it might be like step one of becoming not an asshole <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think they're really linked. And I, I want to say personally, you know, that was my experience. Um, and something I've written about. Um, I, I, I grew up with a really big chip on my shoulder. I had a hard time 
relating to other people. Um, and I would just say, and, and alcohol culture, um, wasn't, <laughs> is not the cure for being an asshole. I, I, you know, neither is weed, but you know, there, that's not the world that's really going to take a, a, a angry, dis- dissociated young person and, you know, help them out. Um, and, but those early experiences of getting high on a personal level, just help me really, if I could, I'd say, help me laugh at myself. And, and that was a profound experience, um, that, that changed the way I saw the world. And then also from then on and long before it was a job, cannabis people are, you know, same caveat, you know, there's terrible people that you will encounter who, uh, buy, sell and consume cannabis, of course. But at every party I've ever gone to, the part of the party where people are smoking weed, I find the most interesting part of the party. Um, at every job I've ever had, the little group of people who would get together to smoke weed sometimes, I fi- you know what I mean? And, and, and of course, as a job, it's, you know, much extended, but part of being a subculture and and something that you know i am a little you know we there's so many terrible parts of prohibition but but one of the good parts of it not good parts of prohibition but something positive that comes out of being marginalized is this sense of mutual support this sense of camaraderie this sense of creating a culture with its own values Um, And so what we don't want to happen with legalization is for the values of corporate America, and this this is in the business sense, but also in the cultural sense, uh, to be imposed upon us. We have values uh, to share with them. Uh, And and when we look at, you know, corporate cannabis in its uh, current state of earning through money they've they've figured out how to lose shitloads of money selling weed um the culture they that they create is without merit almost always you know and if you've been you know around some of these people they can be some real d-bags you know and like the door is open i think for people who love this plant care about this community and want to contribute but the way corporate america views everything is to extract and now now we of course have a lot of people who love extracts uh in terms of you know getting ripped on dabs that's not what i'm talking about what i'm talking about is extraction of market share uh extraction of cultural uh spaces that they take away they don't add um and so you know, if you w- whether you live in Illinois or uh, elsewhere with legal cannabis, think carefully about where your weed dollars go. Um, it's worth it to support 
good dispensaries and uh, particularly growers that you want to see exist, uh, even if it costs a little more. And, you know, hype is just bullshit in general. But it's like, you know, if three sodas have three celebrity spokespeople telling you how great they are, uh, it's just sugar water, man. It doesn't, none of them are good. Uh, And that's your choice to, you know, drink whatever soda you want for whatever reason you want. I'm just saying it doesn't really fucking matter to me. This matters. Weed matters where you buy it and who grew it and how they grew it. We have a whole group of people in this country who are struggling, who have been the ones who kept it going for decades. Um, and, and particularly when, when, when and if and when we start to see interstate commerce and you can really seek out people, you know, from up in the hills of Humboldt County, California, second and third generation growers, unique genetics who, you know, kept it going during the worst of the war on drugs. If nobody had broken the law to grow weed, the laws never would have changed because we wouldn't have known what we were missing. There would have been nothing to fight for. And so, um, you know, just to see these carpetbaggers, these people come in who had no role in that struggle, who have no love for this culture, who have no understanding of this plant and not only want to make money, they want to make a killing and take over everything and extract every bit of value they can and contribute nothing. Well, you know, that's what you're supporting if you buy their weed. Um, And it doesn't matter how cool of a logo they have or who is their celebrity person out there, you know, uh, look under the hood and, 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 you know, vote with your dollars for, for good human weed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the biggest thing you've already commented on the corporatization of cannabis. This is a topic I wanted to to close on. It's a big one. Um, like you say, vote with your weed dollars, but in States like Illinois, um, people have essentially been taken off the ballot. Uh, if you know, if let's just use the analogy and I'm stealing this analogy from a uh, box Brown out of Philadelphia. So credit to him. It's a beautiful analogy. Like we want to vote with our weed dollars, but Illinois particularly, and many other States that you might be familiar with these limited license States have like re- have done regulatory capture, what people call, uh, of the industry. And so that's another example of you saying uh, you, earlier, you said, don't take things for granted. Like here are people that are arguing for legalization, but they're arguing against the right to grow at home because they say it's unsafe. Well, it's like, what? Um, and they're, they're arguing against, uh, you know, basically allowing more small business owners to, to acquire a license. They've made these licensing structures. So, um, hard to get into. And one of the things that Abdullah said in our uh, last podcast uh, was like something like this, you guys, <laughs> we all agree might even mm-hmm. be inevitable for the cannabis industry, unfortunately. And if people are listening to the podcast instead of watching right now, I'm showing the 10 companies that control the food uh, industry. And then we of course have six in, uh, companies that own the media, AT&T, CBS, Comcast, Disney, News Corp, and Viacom. 
Um, I'd hate to see the cannabis industry go that way, but I'll, I'll stop rambling and ask my question. Um, can you expound upon your take, uh, on kind of where cannabis is today and where it's headed? Like what's your outlook on it? You've kind of given us some things and I just, you know, went on my little rant based off of that, but yeah, I'm curious to hear more on your take on the current state of cannabis. Absolutely. Going to just remind everybody, Great Moments in Weed History is fun and humorous and we get on our soapboxes. But, you know, I, if you want me to spit some fire, uh, I'll close it out because I, I feel it inside. Like that chart is terrifying and it is a potential future. Uh, but there's a lot of reasons that that does not have to be. Um, you know, cannabis is unique in that there is decades of tradition in this marketplace and we should be so proud of it um you know with no institutional support with the war on drugs weed got better underground weed is for for what you get and the risk people are taking it's pretty reasonably fucking priced uh i of course think that it should be in a legally regulated system to ensure its purity and its potency. Uh, but outside of that system, incidents were pretty rare. You know what I mean? Um, for the vast amount of, of, of cannabis that was grown and sold in that way. So if you live in a state that has not legalized yet, let's start there. One, you should be working towards your own liberation uh if, if if this is important enough for you to be listening to this podcast you need to do concrete things uh join and you don't have to do it yourself join with existing activism organizations where you live and the question can't be should we legalize among reasonable people that has been decided and the answer is yes the question of our times is how do we regulate it? And unless you are at the table with 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 the decision makers and pushing back, you're going to have to push it back against people in the government who don't even want it legal. And you're going to have to push back against people who want it to be legal in this insider's game way, regulatory capture, oligarchy, uh, just these already rich people should be able to make money and maybe we'll create a, 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 a social justice program, uh, but underfund it and make it so full of loopholes and bullshit that it it is, you know, do not accept that. And I'll say this, those issues and those conversations and the amount of lobbying money, it's hard your best effort is to find people doing that work uh, unless you have some very specific skills and support them the very simple issue and you put your finger on it and the one that we as a broad-based grassroots movement should hold the line on is if weed is legal then i can grow it that is one an issue everyone can understand easily. It's not about the details and the loopholes and the lawyering and the, and the back rooms and the shady deals. It's just, can I grow a plant in my backyard? Can I grow a plant in, uh, on, the, uh, on the porch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
But it is also beyond the joy of growing weeds yourself. It is a really important counterbalance to this type of consolidated corporate power because great news, everybody. It's like I live in California. I can grow six plants. If I'm blessed enough to have the sun and the yard, uh, which unfortunately I personally don't right now, but I could grow six 10 foot tall weed plants. I smoke a lot of weed. Nobody smokes that much weed, (laughs) you know, in a year, not even close. And so what that creates is an opportunity to decommodify cannabis by giving it away to your friends. Or if you happen to know somebody who is ill and needs cannabis, you don't have to start a whole organization like Wham! If you just learn, if you have an abundance of weed because you were able to grow it yourself for pennies on the dollar, of what it would cost to buy it in a dispensary. You can choose to grow whatever kind of cannabis you want. Um, and also, and it's like, okay, I don't advocate people breaking the law because you can get in trouble, but everybody makes decisions for themselves. If, if, if an eighth in the dispensary is uh, $80 because of this corporate... Uh, you know, monopolies in essence, or oligarchies, small group of people controlling everything so they can keep the price super artificially high. Um, but you can grow your own weed, then yeah, man, somebody's going to be at your work or at your gym or at your, uh, you know, pickup basketball game and say, hey, you know, if you ever want an ounce for like 125 bucks or something, uh, I, I know where to get really good weed. And that will, in essence, fuck them. They're not going to be able to sell uh, that vastly overpriced weed in the same market where there's uh, ability for lots of people to grow their own. Because here's the other thing, just for our listeners to your podcast to understand. A relatively small group of people smokes most of the weed so we have tremendous power uh, the people who the, the the soccer mom and i love soccer moms i love soccer i love moms uh i'm glad that they you know smoke a bowl every two weeks right <laughs> but that don't drive the market we drive the market and 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 we can refuse uh to participate in an unfair market. And I do think to some extent we're seeing that happen already. You know, look at these big corporate, the big ones, you know, the hyper-capitalized cannabis plays. They ain't doing too well, you know? Uh, So just to get back to, um, if you live in a state and cannabis is legal, I'm making the air quotes, but you can't grow it yourself, there's your issue. If you live in a state that hasn't legalized yet, there's your issue. That's the most important thing. And it's also happens to be, in my opinion, a basic fundamental human right. Amen to that. God, well said. You're, I hit you at the right time of day, David. <laughs> yeah, coffee o'clock, huh? <laughs> With a little, little weed chaser.
That's right. That's right. They call it the hippie speedball, right? So they sure do. Hell yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. I want to respect uh, the time that we booked, uh, but I w wanted to just thank you so much uh, for taking the time to sit down with me. Um, you also retweet the reason I connected with you. I was going to connect with you anyway, but you retweeted something of mine and it was just weird how the universe worked. Cause it was like, I didn't put myself as being on your radar or even you being aware of the podcast. And so when you retweeted, it, I was like, yeah, definitely got to reach out to David now. Cause I had literally just got done speaking with Abdullah. So, um, folks, uh, if, you enjoyed this show definitely check out uh david's podcast as he mentioned multiple times during the show it's usually not like like we we talked about a lot of serious issues today and that's not to say that they don't do that but the reason they call it great moments in weed history is because there's there's been a lot of great moments in weed history so tune in to learn more um about all that so got i had to give a plug because you're in my rotation of podcasts and uh i appreciate you both uh for making quality content so thank you thank you it's been a real pleasure today yeah and uh any any parting words uh before we close out any like projects you didn't mention or anything else that you wanted to plug or promote um i have a book out uh for a few years ago called how to smoke pot properly uh but really you know we're, we're and, and i do a lot of reporting uh for leafly so you know that's i i am still active as a journalist for sure uh but you know my my heart right now a lot is with is with great moments in weed history i really um love doing that show and building a community around it so you know i'd say start there Cool. And, and specifically, how can our audience uh, support you? Um, is there a Patreon for, for the podcast or, or do you have any way that we that our audience could support you directly as a journalist? Yeah, we have a we have a Patreon for the podcast and you can go to great moments in weed history dot com uh, to see that. You know, obviously, I think listen to some episodes of the podcast and see if it's something you want to <laughs> yeah, throw <laughs> in on uh you could put five on it as we like to say and you can also get a signed copy of my book uh by signing up at, at a higher level on the on the patreon so if you if you uh if, if you made it this far through my uh coffee and weed fueled uh, diatribes maybe you're in for a book uh with i'd love to hear from you yeah. Yeah. So, well, folks, hope you found value in today's episode. I sure did. Um, David, thank you so much uh, once again for sitting down with me today. Thank you.